Welcome to the first episode of 2018, guys. Happy New Year. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the All-Star Comics Podcast, powered by Horizon Comics. I am your host, Jonathan Cote, and joining us on the panel tonight are... Johnny Morales. Roger May. Larry Douglas. That's right. Mr. Multiversity University is in-house. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was waiting for. Um, producing, as always, is Matthew Lubick. Say hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. <laughs> If this is your first time listening to us, we are a somewhat spoilery slash review Sandsmark. That's the name of Cassandra. That's right. Got it. Not Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, we were debating about stuff. Um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, we are a somewhat spoilery and review podcast. We typically review a DC book, a Marvel book, and an independent book each week. We do a graphic novel. We are going to play some trivia and give out some books and answer a couple of questions. I don't think there's any news this week, right? No, there is. One, One uh, thing that we're going to talk about. About comic shop status. Yeah. So, without further ado, let's... And Johnny... Uh, yes. Sorry, not Go John, ahead. Jonathan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. Uh, before we uh, get started, uh, yes. I, I hate to do this, but it um, uh, seems to be my habit lately. Uh, I do want to uh, give a shout-out to the DePaz family, um, to Heather and Christian. Thank you very much for your very thoughtful Christmas gift. Um, for those who don't know, they gave me a, a Batman beanie, which is very... Uh, practical for those of us who have reached a stage in our life where we are follically <laughs> challenged. Uh, uh, but also, I had my grandkids with me on Christmas morning, and my grandson, who I am obviously raising right, is a huge Batman fan. And uh, because it was a Batman beanie, he was extremely impressed with that. Um, I'm sure he will probably end up with that at some point. But, uh, um, but anyway, thank you very much. I really appreciated it, and uh, I just wanted to make sure that you knew that. Oh, awesome. Yeah, the yeah. deposits are pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They always come bearing gifts yes, to everybody on the podcast. So oh, thank so you, guys. Yeah. Um, so uh, what book am I doing? Oh, that's right, the DC book. So this week we read Batman and the Signal, number one, which is a three-issue miniseries plotted by Scott Snyder, written by someone with the last name of Patrick. Let me see if I can't find it at the end here. I hate when they put the credits at the end. Sometimes I get why they do it, but it makes pitching a book really, really infuriating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like we should have written this down. Did you, you write know what? down? Yeah, Johnny, <laughs> I want to hear it. I don't know where it is. It's somewhere in the middle of the book. Anyway, uh, it was plotted by – there it is. It's actually on the second page. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Patrick was the actual writer, and then the artist was Cully Hamner. So um, basically – Duke Thomas, who's been kind of like the unnamed Robin that graduated to full-time sidekick with Batman throughout uh, Scott Snyder's um, All-Star Batman run, uh, finally gets a name. He kind of got it at the end of, uh, was it The Forge? Dark Knights of The Forge? Dark Days of The Forge. I think that's when they gave him the the nickname. The the casting was first. I think it was The Forge. That was second where they they finally alluded that Duke Thomas has metahuman abilities and he's been named the Signal, and he's going to be the Batman for Gotham in the daytime. And so this is kind of like his first day uh, out as his yeah the, his his new identity, I guess you could say his official his official status of being the stat uh, the the status. What am I saying? I've had a stroke. Anyway, what do you guys think of the issue? Well, actually, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, I I kind of enjoyed it. Um, 
DC has this habit of, at least lately, of introducing characters that I don't care about. Um, and then at some point they do something that makes me think that uh, maybe this character is okay after all. They did this with Simon Baz when they first introduced him as Green Lantern. For a long time, I really didn't see the point to the character. He was just extremely uninteresting. Yep. Not that there was anything wrong with him. He just bored me to tears. And uh, and yet finally... Same boat, Larry. <laughs> finally, when they put him in the title Green Lanterns with Jessica Cruz, he did become an interesting character, and, and I've actually enjoyed reading that title. And credit um, Sam Humphreys for that, because he yes. took those two characters and made them really fun to read. Duke Thomas is another one that it feels like DC has been pushing on us. Um, and again, one that I really didn't care about. In fact, he kind of annoyed me, because it was like, why do we need this Duke Thomas? The, the We Are Robin title I thought was really that he came out of I thought was really stupid um, <laughs> and uh, and so I had absolutely no interest in this character at all um, now when I read this when I read the issue though um, I, I did enjoy it I, I liked the um, I like this whole thing about that he's got these metahuman abilities, but he's not even 100% sure what they are yet, and he's figuring out how to use them. He's even at the beginning figuring out how to make them work, uh, which uh, you know, which I thought was uh, was kind of fun to read. And it was unique because they they allude to in the issue that it's not like some like he chemicals or radioactive whatever. It's a biological reaction to metal, hence tying it to the whole metal event. Yes, so. Um, when I, when I got this, and I actually did have it on my pull list, but it was one of those where I was going to, you know, I'll give them a chance, I'll read issue number one, probably won't care about it, and then drop it and not read the rest of it. But um, it kept me interested enough that I will definitely read the second and third issues and see how it goes. And who knows, they might uh, they might actually turn me into a Duke Thomas fan um, if, uh, if the next two issues are pretty good. But it was at least good enough to keep me interested enough to want to read the next two issues. So I'm, I'll give it that. I'm kind of in the same same boat as you. I think the Bat family is large enough, especially like when they you open the page and they oh, yes, you've got everybody from the Bat family sitting around the table, and Robin's just kind of like, "Why do we even need you?" <laughs> so um, I, I don't get why they have to to keep adding more and more and more to that. Um, but I, I I'm with you. I I think it's interesting enough to to pick up at least the next three. It's a mini series. It's not a huge investment. Um, I, the other thing is I like Cully Hamner's art. It's been a while yes. since we've seen him on a title. Shut up, Johnny. You'll get your moment. <laughs> um, I, I think he's got a fun style, and it's been a while since he's been on anything, so I enjoyed seeing him do it. So go ahead, Johnny. Tell us why you hate it. I don't hate it. It's just it it bored me more than anything. The art yeah. or the story? Uh, the story, the art. I just um, at some points I found it inconsistent and um, – just one page where, you, like the first page that you see Jim Gordon, it doesn't look like it's his mustache. It looks like it's a red smile. Like he's just going like this. And it's pretty funny because uh, there's no, um, like, it. He didn't draw the right dimensions for a mouth. You really just get hooked on the randomest things, and that's what takes it down. I thought it was funny. It really no, it didn't take it down. I thought it was hilarious. I mean, look at it. He's just smiling. Now, don't forget to mention the lettering, Johnny. We want to hear about the lettering. Uh, lettering's fine, Larry. That's why I'm not saying anything about it. Um, for a book called Batman and the Signal, Batman's barely in it, and I think they just put it j there just so we could sell copies. Well, were you going to pick this up if it didn't say? I wasn't going to pick this up either way. 
because because like uh, you guys said, the Bat Family is way too big already. When I when you know Scott Snyder did the death of the family and broke them all apart, I thought that was like gonna be a good thing, but he didn't do anything. He just made it bigger, and honestly, it. It's getting to the point where it's kind of annoying how many people know Bruce Wayne's secret identity and stuff like that. It, it's it's starting to become uh, not believable. Um, and I just don't find Duke Thomas to be very interesting, um, especially that he has powers that he doesn't know how to turn on or doesn't really know how they work. It's just like, ah, come on. I, I'm pretty sure I've read this story and much better, uh, like, a much better version of this story. It's the the worst thing that I could say about it is it's boring. There's nothing new here. I thought I thought it was okay. Um, I, I liked the art too. I, I, but I did think when when Gordon first showed up, uh, I was like, <laughs> right. He hasn't really practiced drawing Jim that much. No. <laughs> but um, like Cully, but Cully Hamner hasn't drawn anything in a while. Know. Also, um, the thing that. The th- you know, I'll probably finish this just because I'm curious about these other metas popping up and and what exactly Duke's abilities are. Mm-hmm. But I find I, I, f- I found the um, the science part of that uh, a little questionable. I don't and I don't want to see if they go into and explain it anymore. It's like chakra points from Naruto. He's, he's well, he says he can. He can see light from where it's been and where it's going. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so you can see faster than the speed of light. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, but he's be well, so he's he's basically having either you know premonitions or, you know, I I don't know. I, I thought it was cool how he used it to yeah. see what what code they punched into the the security panel and stuff, but I'm like, I'm not really sure I'm getting what you want his powers to be and how that connects to these other evil metas that that are popping up. Because they also said at one point that he seemed to be charging them. Yeah. You know, that they they were getting stronger around him. Um, And I don't know. Mostly it made me curious about, you know uh, what they're doing to Duke. I've, not, I've never really been a fan either. There's certainly something a lot more interesting with him going on now. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you know some parts were were kind of funny. You know with the you know people going what what are you doing out here in the daytime? Yeah, you're supposed to be you out know, at night. This is not your time. You yeah, know, shouldn't you be asleep or something? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, so all in all, you know it, it was okay. Um, I thought it it was. Pretty well written, pretty well paced, fine art, but I'm, but I'm not sure what they're doing, and I'm I'm curious to find out what that is. Go ahead, Johnny. Um, I like the fact that the lady points out, oh, the bad guys are only showing up during the daytime because now there's a daytime hero, and I thought that was just funny. Um, I, I don't know. I think I've said all that I needed to say. It just wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't good. It was mediocre. Okay. All right, well, what's your rating then, Johnny? Uh, two. Wow. It's a three for me. Uh, for me, it was a four. Yeah, I think I'm about right there. Wasn't wasn't terrible. It got me curious enough to finish the series, so 
like I said, it's three issues, so it's not a terrible investment. Yeah. Mm. And um, the whole idea about, I, I agree with what you said about the fact that it seems like they're not sure what they want his, his superpowers to be, but I took that to be part of that he doesn't know what his superpowers are exactly yet either. So he's discovering them, and we as the reader are discovering them along with him. Um, and so I mean, I'm just curious, like you said, um, because I'm giving it a four because it made me curious enough to want to read the next two issues. Yeah, and if it if it didn't do at least that, then I would have rated it much lower. But um, but yeah, definitely a four. Yeah, I can see that, and I, I agree with the point about. I actually think that that makes a lot of sense that the reader's finding out as he is, and even him, he was probably speculating as to what 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 it is that he can do. So I can I can cut him some slack there. Yeah. All right, Johnny. <clears throat> Sweet. Okay, uh, we read Paper Girls nineteen by Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang. Um, this book follows, uh, I believe, it's four right, four teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, that have been transported to the future and are meeting their future selves uh, in the year, I believe, 2000 or 1999. And uh, there's giant robots and people hunting them. I have no idea what else to say about this book. Haven't you read the, at least the first volume? Yeah, the first volume. Well, I mean... That's pretty much continuation it. Continuation of the story. Yeah, yeah, it's a continuation of that story. Yeah, but this is... In fairness, this is 13 issues later. Yeah. Kind of it seems like the same stuff's going on, yeah. yeah. And I still, I still don't, I, I, I've got no clue. Yep. You've got a new villain that pops up. You've got different guys rather than pterodactyls. You've got guys with giant Voltron robots. Um, the tough thing about, did you want to go ahead and finish your thought? I'm sorry. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I think the, in the, the by the end of the first trade, they go like to two thousand and something because the they come girl, current time, I believe. Right and now, the they're in the Y two K right time. I don't yeah. know what's going so on. The, well, the, well, and because the other thing I was going to mention was that only one of the girls can see him. Yeah, can the robots, see these yeah. big robots and stuff. I feel like I feel like I've missed a lot. She probably like I have. Them. I have. I have, you really have. It's almost like I, the story hasn't advanced much, but it I, hasn't. But I have no clue what's going because on because I I jumped off off of the previous the end of the previous story arc. So I'm only really four issues behind or three issues behind, like what was going on with this one. And I kind of feel like in the, like one of the reasons because me and Blake were talking about Brian K. Vaughn specifically last night was with Saga, with Paper Girls, with a lot of these things. It just seems like he's in intentionally drawing out and meandering some of his plot points that he could actually do within a couple of issues and trying to turn them into these full story arcs to get these longer runs because I feel like that with Saga as well which is another reason I hopped off that like I feel like a lot of the the last two story arcs with Saga was they should have been like two or three issues shorter and it was like he was relying on his opening page shock factor kind of things to keep people kind of in and the fact that the books are pretty Um, so pretty so and it's the same with this book. It's it's expertly, you know, drawn and whatnot. But oh, so there's not a, I don't feel like there's a whole lot that ha- had happened between this story arc and the previous one. The, the previous one they went further back in time or something where there was dinosaurs, and not a well, lot happened. Dinos- oh, okay, you're talking about the more recent story. Arc. Yeah the 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 story arc right before this one. Okay. 
Well, so. listening to you guys, I feel like I may be at somewhat of uh, an advantage here not having read anything. <laughs> yeah. I have not read a single issue of Paper Girls up until now. Um, and uh, and maybe that was a good thing because, um, well, I, I don't want to get you any hate emails. I don't think I've mentioned this on the show before, but... Um, uh, and I know it's not going to be popular maybe among this group, but um, I am not a fan of Brian K. Vaughn. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think he's that good a writer, really? uh, to be honest. Um, now, I've read some of his mainstream stuff, and, um, and that's actually been pretty decent, but I have not liked any of his independent stuff. Um, and the reason for with that for me is not because I don't think he has some good ideas. He actually has good ideas. And I've tried reading some of his stuff, um, like saga. I read the first trade with saga and, um, also with why the last man. Um, but the thing about Brian K Vaughn that bothers me is that, um, when he writes stuff that is meant to be for mature readers, um, there's two ways to approach that. One way would be, well, since I'm writing for mature readers, that means I can include things that I couldn't include in a mainstream title. So if, say, nudity or profanity is an important part of, uh, of a story, then it's okay for me Harsher to include Harsher violence. That. Right. Instead, Brian K. Vaughn seems to have the attitude that because I'm writing for mature readers, I must include all these things. And so... Um, he and- Mark Millar's it. Right, and Jeez. <laughs> and comparing it, for example, to, say, or Neil Miller. Gaiman and The Sandman. Now, The Sandman at times had profanity, it had nudity, it had, you know, adult themes and things like that. But when, when Neil Gaiman used profanity, it was actually really appropriate to that particular point in the story, and it actually told you something about the story and that character. Same thing with when he, say, would use nudity. That was actually important to the story, and it it fit in and it told you something about what was going on with Brian K Vaughn. I feel that he just puts it in there for shock value and shock value doing something to shock people is not good writing. Anybody could do that. I can't write, but I could shock people if I wanted to. And so to me, that's, that's not good writing. And when he like, when he uses profanity, for example, and it's not that I'm trying to be a prude, but he puts it in places where it would be totally inappropriate you know, where it just doesn't fit in. I'm like, why is this person, you know, talking like this when it makes no sense in this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I'm not a, a fan of Brian K. Vaughn. Um, however, reading this actually made me kind of curious. Um, I was not looking forward to it. I was like, oh, Brian K. Vaughn, so it was independent <laughs> stuff. This is going to be total crap like all the rest of it that I've read. Oh, my God. And yet I end up reading it, and it was kind of like, huh, I, I have absolutely no idea what's going on, not the slightest idea what's going on in this story, but it was still kind of interesting. And um, it was the issue I thought was it was well-written enough to make me curious about what has come before. Um, the first and, trade's fantastic. Okay. So, yeah, it made me interested to maybe go back and read some of that earlier stuff. Now, maybe I'll become disillusioned with it, perhaps. But um, Well, see, and that's just it. Like, he, he started so strong on it. Mm-hmm. For me, I this was a series that I really looked forward to each month that it was out, more so than even Saga at the time. Because uh, Saga, I felt like he jumped the shark a long time ago. And it's just right. like opening, like, what's the opening page going to be this time? That's that's really crazy. And I just found myself not caring more and more in, in that run with everything that was going on. With this one, I was really stoked. But then the same kind of meandering around, like elongating 
what should be like one or two issues into a full story arc kind of thing started to happen with this. And so, I you know, I don't know. I'm like I'm not a professional writer, but I just know like when something's really well paced, it kind of like you know gets you going. Oh, we're wearing like the same shirt but opposite. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just um, noticed. But uh, yeah, but um, with Paper Girls, it's it's kind of disappointing because I really liked this book at first, and I just like yeah. I, after the last story arc, I was like, nothing happened. You literally took the same concept of the first two story arcs where they just same four girls kind of. We're in this time now, or in this time. I feel like this would have done better as like a maxi series, or um, something with with less than what is it, nineteen that we're yeah. going on now. Is it, is it literally just them going through timelines? Yeah. Oh, okay. Can Can you pitch this this series for me? Uh. I have results from multiple. <laughs> <laughs> Siri, wait, Larry. Siri was gonna pitch this series for us. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that was the funniest thing. Uh, Stand by me. Uh, it time traveled. Meet Stranger Things girls. Meet Stranger Things in time traveling. Yeah. Okay, that would be how I would pitch it. Did you say Stanley? Stand by me. Oh, Stand by me. Yeah. I was like, where are you? Is that the movie Stan with Lee the dead from? guy? Yeah. Oh, okay, I've the, never the seen the four boys or five boys. Right, 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 right. Body, but it's, it's yeah. girls that are kind of. So it's like Stranger Things, Stand by Me, time traveling. That's weird. Okay, it's not really doing anything for me. <laughs> that, it was like my pitch is going to change, like the outcome. Because I was, I was curious. Because Larry, I thought when you first said that this was your first uh, foray into this series, I, I immediately thought that that you were going to like it. That and and did you? Yeah, I did. Like yeah. I said, although I had absolutely no idea what was going on, it still got me. It was it got me curious as to what has gone on before, and um, it also made me curious to find out uh, who this uh, who this older lady is who uh, ends up shooting all these people. At well, the this end. is yeah. Well, and and I, I think this is like the Brian Mac. K. Vaughn crack pipe. I mean, yeah. I think that you can take any issue any issue from his series. And read that single issue and be like, oh, my God, I need to read the rest of this. Whereas if I think if you had now and Paper Girls might be different, but with Saga, you know, if you, you read issue 44, you know, that would probably hook you to go read the whole series. But by the time you got to issue 44, it'd be like, what are we doing here? Yeah. You know, that's this, that's this you know, this this comic I thought was so cool. And yeah, we're not we're not getting anywhere. We're just uh -huh. we're just treading water basically in every story arc because the the old woman at the end is the i'm fairly certain is mac the redhead uh -huh. girl really because in every story arc the girls have come across some form of a future version of themselves right like the first story arc first story arc dealt with aaron or was it aaron yeah it was aaron second one dealt with um uh aaron the, the tiffany Oh, but they don't meet the and future that, one until the end, very end of the first arc. The yeah, and then that's like kind of what gets drawn out in the second arc yeah. and and stuff like that. That's why I'm saying there's, there's a lot of stuff pacing wise. Like just if you're going through the full series, it's like you just better be ready for like things to drawn out to be drawn out. Yeah, so if you expect that though. It, it could change it. Yeah, it could change it. Like one thing I'll say is Cliff Chang. Dude, he's great. knocking out of the park. The colors were a little bit muted. Um, for like, uh, I know Matt Wilson does 
kind of. Uh, does he do very bright colors? No, I don't think he does. Right. Well, it's interesting because when he did the when they were in the eighties, uh-huh. the colors were all very eighties color. Oh, when sweet. They went up to current He's time. He's a great colorist. So he kind of changes like how vivid each palette is with the kind of time frame that they're in. So being the fact that they're early 2000s, the only bright colors you get is like when the robots are like yeah. leaking whatever all this is. Well, this is also taking place in winter. Um, that clearly. Too. So as a result, I think that's part of the reason why things are muted. But yeah, so um, I don't know. It's, it's I mean, I don't I don't really know what to say about this book. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't hate it, but I just I'd expect more from a guy like BKV. Like I've read the first trade and picking this up, I'm like, ah, I feel like I didn't miss anything, really. Yeah, you said your pitch, and I was like, I'm a trade behind, and that sounds exactly where I left off. <laughs> yeah. you, you missed dinosaurs. That's oh, about okay, it. dinosaurs. You missed them getting separated in current day, getting flung further back in time, running from dinosaurs, apparently getting flung to Y2K. That's about the the. The, the, but the, c- thing the state is, of the series. But, well, the dilemma there is that, yeah, you, you can feel like you haven't missed anything, but you don't know what's going on. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the problem with this particular series on the whole, you know? Yeah. Even I, you have no idea. what I mean, it's just these girls getting into weird situations in the past, in the future, you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, even after the first story arc, I was like, I still don't know what's going on. Um, I don't know. If if you like this kind of stuff, maybe you might like it. I mean, we've said in the past, like, Brian K. Vaughn's, like, strongest suit is kind of, like, knocking you off kilter for what's yeah. coming. But I think, you know, when you do that in every issue all the time, at some point, it's just going to be like... You get okay. desensitized. Yeah, it. and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do anymore. Like you said, any person that hasn't read anything can come in and just be like, oh my God. But if you do a whole series now, yeah. it's a lot different. It's so. very ebb and flow. Like there's giant highs and these low lows. Yeah. Like, so, do you think it's like maybe like stagnation where it's just good and then it never goes up from there? I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that it was funny because, like I said, me and Blake were talking about just Brian K. Vaughn and his series. He's like, it just seems to be that the longer his series goes on and he, he's been doing this long enough to kind unless he just doesn't get it or he doesn't get criticism from people or whatever. Oh, he um, sure. But <laughs> well, he's off all social media, so it's not like he actually hears from any fans <laughs> or whatever. He's yeah, the, oh, he's the, like, the smartest creator. <laughs> but... Um, Blake had made the point like dude like even with why the last man once it got into the 40s once it got kind of half past halfway near the end it really started to meander it's like he doesn't quite know he has a killer opening halfway point sucks. and then he gets to the halfway point in his series and he's not quite sure what to do and then he just oh I'm gonna end it like this as opposed to like being like maybe I should try some well, different he pacing options. Well, he has great endings though too, yeah. right? The beginning and end are super solid. That's what I've heard, and that yeah. he gets he gets kind of bogged down or distracted. But it's that middle point. So why middle. not trim out like what you're like like yeah. if if your fans are consistent in that? Why not trim down what you normally would do in the middle for your consistent. second act, and then make the third act like just you know Bonkers. balls to the wall? Yeah. So I don't know. That's my rant. So about it. It's pretty spot on though. Would you guys uh, rate it? Or is there anything else that you guys want to mention? Not really. 
I'm going to give it another four, and I'm going to give it a four with the acknowledgement that I may only be giving it a four because it's the first <laughs> issue that I've read. Uh, maybe if this was the 19th issue that I've read, I, I might not feel the same way. But at least for this issue, again, kind of the same thing as with the previous one, because it made me curious enough to potentially go back and read what's happened up until now, I'll, I'll give it a four for that. Got it. But that's also the point. You got you're, you guys are reviewing that these issues based on this issue, you know. So yes. You're reviewing it singly. It's not bad. Yeah. By any stretch. It's just like Roger said, being the fact that we kind of have foreknowledge of what's come before. Yeah, it brings down what you expect in this issue. Right. You know, especially having read the first trade, which is a fantastic really opening good. salvo. Really so. Well, my yeah, my rating is probably going to be almost opposite of of uh how you came to your rating because uh, i would probably if, if for a single comic i would probably give this a four and a half okay you know i mean i thought it was strong i love i love vaughn's um character development mm-hmm. you know i love i love the way he creates these characters and they have their unique voices i love the art in this book um it's action-packed there's a lot going on that you want to know more okay and for that for a single comic i'd probably give it a four and a half i'm gonna give it a three and a half because i don't care anymore (laughs) (laughs) so a summary would go a long way because i've read more you know it's like i'm i'm just at that point where i'm like kind of i'm over fawn you know so a summary would go a long way in a book like this to kind of catch the reader up johnny um three Eh. Middle of the road? Oh. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> um, I'm at three and a half. It's it's not uh, three and a half, four. I, like I said, it's not poorly written. It's not the art's not bad or anything. Like There's a lot going on. And like you said, I think if anybody picked this up, they'd be like, oh, my God, I got to go back and read this. But coming. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's my that's my fan voice um, coming into this, you know, 19 issues later. um you know, minus the the couple of issues before this particular story that kicked this one off, I'm kind of in Rogers' boat where I'm just like, well, dude, you lost me after the last story arc. I don't, I don't know how to feel about this book, so I'll just say, you know, three and a half. What I'm curious, I'm curious too, whether or not because I, um, I don't read Vaughn in uh, trade paperbacks. I read them in individual comics. Um, but I did, I think, well, because we reviewed Paper Rolls Volume One. Mm-hmm. First episode. The first episode. <laughs> yeah, and it was and it was amazing, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but I, I'd be curious to go back and read the next two volumes together as opposed of this, to and and the volume including this one when it comes out, and to see if his stuff just doesn't read better in collected form. Mm-hmm. You know that it doesn't. It you know. Uh, month to month, it seems like it get, it gets just you know there's no traction. Yeah, I um, have uh, read volume two. I haven't read volume three yet, but I will tell you, it's one of the few books where I can read in one sitting, and that yeah takes a lot to do it as a trade. Yeah, you know, so I do that with just about every Jeff Lemire book. Yeah, so the only like, certain things just like hit your buttons, like and that that's uh, one of them. That's yeah, I think that that might be part of the problem that yeah. Vaughn writes specifically. Well, no, actually, he does both, but I think his storytelling works better in graphic novel form. But he writes very strong single issues, but month to month, it, it you know I just feel like you're not getting anywhere. Yeah, yeah. 
very true. But even even despite them being very strong individual mm-hmm. comics, there's no connective tissue. Yeah. In each. But they, I don't know. But that's, but that's crazy because they do work very well as graphic novels. So I don't know. I, I, whatever it is, he's got a formula for making money. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to begrudge him that. Yeah. Well, go ahead and keep talking, Roger. Tell us about our Marvel book. Uh, I don't think you rated it. Yeah, you did. Yeah, oh, you three, did three and a half. Oh, okay, three and a half. Um, I I probably would rate it four just because of the art. Okay. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy issue number one fifty. How'd we get uh, to that number, Roger? Written. God. Oh my God. <laughs> Man. <laughs> now. like number nine or something? Every week. <laughs> <laughs> you are pushing my buttons, dude. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's okay. I, I know. I intentionally instigated um, that one. Is this a double size? It's it's a fat book, but it, there's a lot of ads in it, too. There's a lot also of, a lot of unnecessary <laughs> other A lot crap. of Marvel ads. Uh, for other Marvel You books. know what drives me nuts is the folded ads because I'm trying to like, I always think that it's not folded and I try to like, I'm like, oh, the pages are stuck. <laughs> nope. I'm just ruining the book by accident. Creative uh, team? Yeah, Jerry Dugan was the writer. Um, the artists were Aaron Cooter and Marcus Toe. I've heard of Marcus Toe. Um, he was on Nightwing for a story arc. Is that why there are in here? Yep. Was Ian Herring. Uh, lettering VCs Corey Pettit. The logo and design was by Manny Madera. <laughs> oh my God, Roger! <laughs> and, a, and a great cover by Alex. Right, you can see I don't want to pitch his book. Yeah, I, I don't really want to talk about this book. Yeah, but if I had cool. to pitch it, the cover's cool. Hey, and you get you know you get this uh, awesome 3D you know lenticular cover um, uh, showing you know the return of Warlock. Um, which is, you know, it's a really cool cover. But in this issue, uh, everybody gets a Nova helmet. Um, Adam Warlock is trying to find his way out of the Soul Gem. Drax becomes a hippie pacifist. Uh, He's been a hippie pacifist. Ant- Ant-Man gets large. Why is Ant-Man in this book again? And, and Kang shows up at the end. I, he, he's in the Guardians now. Yeah. I didn't even hear that announcement anywhere. Like, when did that happen? Yeah. After Venom left. No, I've been reading it. I'm on issue three on Marvel Unlimited. That hasn't happened. Well, you might be getting there. I don't know. (laughs) This is. I I just. I I don't. I I think I said this before we started. I don't think Jerry Dugan should be writing mainstream books. Um, I don't. I don't know where I would put them. I don't think. You know. I don't think the Guardians should be some slapsticky. Uh, comic. I think it should be an action, action space adventure book that, you know, uh, he- echoing back to Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. Jason that, Aaron. <coughs> okay, I didn't, I didn't. Did he do a run on Guardians? He should do a run on Guardians. Oh, that would, yeah, that would be great. I don't, I'm not sure he's coming back to Marvel anytime soon. Jason but, Aaron? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was thinking Jonathan Hickman. That'd be the most like depressing Guardians ever. Like, just yeah, there would be no jokes. Yeah, Jason Aaron would do good. He'd do good. Um, that you know, that's about all I've got to say for this book. I I just I didn't I didn't care for it. I don't care for his characterization of any of the characters. It's very Disney. Like he kind of took like what Disney established in the last two Guardians movies 
and was like, I think I can do a comic like that. I write Deadpool. I can do this. Yeah. And so I'm just going to kind of take my Deadpool style comedy and ham fistedly like shoehorn it into Guardians. I would like to give Marvel some kudos on this since since I, you know, have been critical of Marvel a lot in the past. And that is almost every time I've been on the show and we reviewed a Marvel book, I have complained about the quality of the cover. And uh, and when I picked this book up, I was very impressed with the fact that it's actually uh, a a nice sturdy cover and and it's a it's a good cover the uh, it's lenticular it's got a, yeah it's got a pretty good 3d effect even the it's even got a a nice lenticular uh cover uh, back cover for uh, the marvel 2 in 1 so um so yeah the cover is really nice good job marvel although you charge me for for 99 for it well i mean not me since i'm not going to buy it but <laughs> uh, but somebody paid 499 for this i think it's a little overpriced but nonetheless at least the cover was decent and um and that about ends my kudos. Uh, when I the first thing I did, of course, one of the things I do like about Marvel is the fact that they give you a a summary page, yeah. so you know what's going on going in. And but this time, when I read the summary page, at the end, I was confused because it was like, wait a second, you just there's so much crap going on on this summary page that I I have no idea what you just told me. It was uh, it was useless. It did nothing to actually catch you up to speed. It didn't. It just it was very confusing. And then when I read the comic itself, my confusion was magnified. Um, I mean, I understand I haven't been reading Guardians, so maybe I don't know what's going on. But um, but unlike Paper Girls, where I didn't know what was going on, but I was curious about what was going on after reading Guardians, I didn't know what was going on, and I had absolutely no desire to find out. Um, it just seemed like there was just so much going on that that you couldn't focus on any one thing. There was no overall story, it seemed like. It was just, let's throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Um, and some of the things just happen for seemingly no reason. They're right in the middle of the story, and all of a sudden, Drax says, oh, I'm going to quit. And I'm like, where did that come from? There was nothing leading up to that that would give you the idea that this is what he was going to do um, or yeah, well, that it only fit into was, the story at all. Yeah, you, there was one moment where he accidentally killed somebody, and which he didn't was even a really do it. poorly he pushed. Yeah. Oh, that dude was on. horribly written. Yeah. yeah. Horribly written. No, I, I absolutely agree because it was like, why at that point I was like, because he's like, oh, no. I've killed somebody even though I tried not to. Yeah, he, and I'm he, like, what Drax is this? Yeah. Yeah, and, and here he, the way he said it, oh, no, it happened again. I've accidentally killed another person. And it's like, oh, yeah. you, this is yeah. your reaction? I mean, <laughs> yeah. it was, you know. Whoops-a-daisy. Yeah, whoops, oh, I'm sorry about I that. I don't understand what happened because after Civil War II, they were grounded, quote-unquote, and then there was a relaunch. And then they all like yeah. changed like Drax's pacifist. Huh. Baby Groot is there. Like, what happened to Groot? Like, yeah, there's no connective tissue. Maybe maybe it'll work better if you read Drax in Eeyore's voice. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is I oh, thought the no. same exact thing. <laughs> I've accidentally killed another innocent person. Oh, oh bother. Um, the other thing that I didn't quite get was they didn't really do anything to tie in the Adam Warlock pages at the beginning and the end to what was going on in the middle. I read yeah. that. I was like, how does this fit in with the rest of the story? I mean, I understand that it 
you know, it's something that maybe is going to fit in later, but there should be some connection. And other than the fact that he runs into Gamora at one point, I couldn't see I didn't any even get connection how she whatsoever. Got there. She was just with the rest of the Guardians, and she seemed like she was older. What yes. the heck? Oh, that was in a back issue. Like, she goes into the Soul Stone and meets herself, and Adam Warlock's in there, and that's a big old thing. Okay. And then the other that thing was ter- that was terribly done. Then at, at the end, when Adam Warlock gets out, there's how how is it that he got out? It's like he's going on. I'm going to find a way to get free, and then all of a sudden he just pops out. It's he, like well, he punches really? through his cocoon. Yeah. Like, so I don't I don't know why you know is he in the Soul Stone or is he in his cocoon? You know, I mean, I guess maybe his spirit is in the Soul Stone, yeah. but why does punching through his cocoon get him out of the Soul Stone? That, it really it really makes no sense in that issue. They said once you use the soul stone, a piece of you is always in it. So that is that why Gamora's there? That's why Gamora's in it, like her old version of herself, and that's why Adam Warlock is <coughs> always in it from now on. Uh, so that might help explain, but not. But now there explain. would be two versions of Gamora in there, right? Cause a younger, younger version and, and an old older self, version. Yeah. That's that's a stupid rule. That really that, is. That wasn't an issue, and I was like, <laughs> "That's a dumb uh, rule." Okay. Yeah. That really is. Jerry Duggan. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> stop it, Johnny. Weigh in. Um, I don't know, man. It's it was fine. It was I didn't know what was going on, and I thought that that was acceptable because I didn't read any of the back issues. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll try to follow along. The thing is, it just like Larry said, they didn't do. Uh, enough to tie in the Adam Warlock stuff to the the stuff that was going on with the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, and that was kind of like the biggest thing for me is like, why are you advertising the return of Adam Warlock in this book if he's not going to interact with them at all? Basically, <laughs> really, that what they were doing was just using Guardians and then slapping the number one fifty with the Marvel math that this they is have the equivalent to Thor seven hundred. Yeah, and and all they did was like we need to launch, we need to use the end of this book to launch three more books. Yeah. Like I thought, for if you take out all the Adam Warlock stuff, I thought the story was okay. It was fine. It's serviceable. Like you kind of get what's going on. There's this, there's these people that infiltrated the Nova Corps, and the Guardians are supposed to get it back. And you they know have that Wolverine claws, right? That <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> but I was, um, I was like, wait a minute, why do these guys all have Wolverine claws? That's, what's that's what I thought right too. Now? But you know, like that that story's okay. It, it's fine. It's just when adding a completely separate story that you. You feel it doesn't the feel prelude like prelude in the epilogue, right? It doesn't feel like it belongs at all. No, um, and it, and I think it doesn't. I think it's just a small little setup for the um, that ad that was there. I don't know. It was the Adam Warlock issue, uh, Infinity Countdown, or whatever. Well, there's three titles coming out of this. There's the Infinity thing, Infinity Countdown, yep. Adam Warlock, yep, Infinity Countdown Prime, and. Infinity Countdown. Wait, could, no. Okay, could it be no, because <laughs> just maybe Infinity Wars coming out? I don't think they're related. No, <laughs> that's a stretch. No, it's not that they're related. It's no, just like, that I don't see the connection. Yeah, that's a stretch, Jonathan. <laughs> oh God. No, like I think it, like like all of these, but well, to me, like Batman and the Signal, it just didn't give me enough to care about. It it, it doesn't make me want to read more. Uh, after this issue, it doesn't really make me care about the Guardians or Adam Warlock returning or that he's in what was the dude's name? The time traveling dude, Krang, Kang, 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 Kang. Conqueror, yeah, uh, like that he was in Kang's sp- uh, spaceship. 
Using Kang's spit? Is yeah. that what you just said? <laughs> that would have been more interesting. All of a sudden he comes out of like this saliva, like... Uh, oh, sorry. That would have been real weird. <laughs> you know, like sucking the- on the soul stone. <laughs> <laughs> That's a better comic, right off the bat. Make, if you're gonna go funny, go super. Yeah, funny. just go ridiculous. Jump the shark hard. There, there's nothing here to hook me, or I assume other people. There's nothing here to. Hook well, there them, is really. that cool cover. <laughs> that really cool and misleading what cover. <laughs> yeah. What is this, Alex Ross? Yeah. Do you uh, want to? Do you want to read it? Yeah, two. I agree, two. It was about the same as Batman and the Signal, two and a half. I'm at two also. Yeah, it's sad, it's sad too because I've been yeah. I've been on a a pretty good roll of oh God yeah Marvel books. of Marvel books. Batman and the Signal was probably a little bit better than this. It was it was at least. Like I could at least follow the story for Batman and the Signal. Never mind. Yeah, you guys are right. Well, it's a two. That's what I'm saying. It sounds just like your gripes from Thor 700. Like too there much. Was no point. Too yeah. much. Just all over the place. Big issue for with a number that has no reason. Like, yep. Yeah. No, who cares about the number? That's just a dumb thing. Um, what would you guys rather have reviewed? And in place of what? I'm glad you asked, Jonathan. Not Rogan Gambit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was I was gonna jump was all over Johnny's. Yeah. Uh, no, I was Go gonna. Ahead, uh, I was going to say Rat Queens for the indie book. I forgot where I put that Rat Queens. Um. Anyway, and for uh, the Marvel book, uh, what was it? It was oh Captain America six ninety seven. Oh, did you read the last page in that with Wolverine? I I'm not. I haven't read six ninety seven yet. You you haven't read it yet? No. But you would have rather read it. Yes. Definitely. Okay. It's a great comic. How do you know? You haven't read it yet. I've been reading six ninety five and six ninety six. This is six ninety seven. I read that book. Yeah? I love the art. It was actually pretty good. Yeah? But did you read the end credits scene? I like no. I hate I the didn't. fact that they have post credits in freaking comic books. It was dumb. No, Thanks, I, Disney. I didn't get to that. I don't know if there was an ad at the end when I got to the end of the Captain America book. This one was actually good. And I was I, I could actually see where they're um you know, when we because we reviewed six ninety five, the right. first issue. Um and I really didn't care for that. But I actually think he is kind of tying all that stuff together. Like this is going to be a cohesive arc. Um, and this was, this was a good issue with Craven the Hunter. Um, still not great, but it, but it, it was, it was good. It made me curious to read the next issue. That's good. Larry. Um, well, I was okay with uh, reading paper girls and Batman and the signal as far as guardians of the galaxy. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I would have been curious to read Rise of the Black Panther. Yeah, I heard that was good, too. Uh, yeah, that'd probably be the one I'd pick, Rise of the Black Panther, in place of Guardians of the Ooh, Galaxy. We should have reviewed Spawn. No. <laughs> Stop. Um, <laughs> no, that's I, a bad book. I was okay with the signal. Cover. I mean, if I was going to swap out Disney, obviously, or Disney, excuse me, <laughs> see. Like I'm just so like hateful right now on Dude, it. Dude, in like a couple of um, years, Disney's gonna own everything anyway. Um, I think if I was gonna swap out Batman and the Signal, I would have done it for Superman, because for the Superman or the Super Sons story arc that they're doing, um, I read that and it was pretty entertaining. Um, for Marvel, probably Star Wars. That's the only thing up there that I care about that's oh, out. But I heard Astonishing X Men was actually pretty cool. This issue. Yeah. yeah. So, 
And, and there's like, uh, if I was going to swap out the indie book, which was, you know, yeah, it's a small week. Uh, I probably would have done Rat Queens also because yes, I at least so good. I at least know what I'm getting into with that book. <laughs> All right, um, trivia time, Larry. Okay, so uh, we're gonna do some Golden Age Batman trivia. It's not gonna be particularly hard. I think everything we're gonna ask is gonna be Googleable. So uh, we'll just go with that. We'll start off with something really, really. Simple. Are these off the top of your head? Yeah. Detective yes. Comics 27. Wow. It's all in the brain, brain bank. Brain bank. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll start with something very, very simple. Who created Batman? Bob Kane Bill Kane Finger. Bill Finger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said it today who Bob Kane's real name was, too. I was like, i got to remember that. Yes, Bob Kane's real name, Robert Kahn, actually. Yeah, yeah. Changed it to Bob Kane after he graduated high school. Um, and, uh, well, we'll throw this one out there. Anybody know what Bill Finger's real name is? Oh, William Finger. <laughs> William Fingerly. It's actually Milton Finger. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I knew it was Finger because his daughter, um, uh, I right. can't remember her name, but it, she goes by Finger also. She never took a different last oh, name or whatever. Milton. So I knew it was. I knew that his last name was real. Or unchanged, I should yeah. say. Can somebody tell me in what issue do we get Batman's origin story for the first time? Oh. 19, 17, something. Remember, Detective Comics number 27 is the first appearance of Batman. Yeah. 31. Oh, 40. Oh, man, you said today. I did say it today. <laughs> I wasn't here for that. Pay attention, I don't Matt. I don't remember. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It is Detective Comics number 33. Ah, it was mm. close. Six months after uh, was. Batman was first introduced. Um... I'll make this another easy one. Uh, which issue does Robin appear for the first time? Detective Comics. Fi- I have no DC idea. I know 75. the cover. I know the cover. It's a great cover. It is a great cover. Is that the one where he's like popping 58? out the drum or something? Yeah, it is, yes. Yeah. 57. Detective Comics number 38. Oh, Dang, that's real soon. Can anybody tell me why they added Robin? to the Batman story. They wanted to appeal to kids. Sidekick problem thing. Well, Robin was the first sidekick and actually ended up uh, resulting in, because he was so popular, it resulted in other characters getting sidekicks as well. But this is why Captain America had Bucky. This is why Green Arrow had Speedy and the Sandman had Sandy. (laughs) (laughs) Was that for real? Yes. Oh, wow. (laughs) Did they give the origin story of the Grayson family in that issue, or was just he just popped up? Um, I, there's a, a short origin. They they didn't do a lot of, with the origins in the Golden Age, well, but yeah, it's like he's a trapeze. Guy. Uh, Johnny's close with that. They wanted to appeal more to kids, but there's a little bit more to the story. Hmm. <laughs> they wanted old guys to appeal to kids. <laughs> <laughs> DC felt that Batman was too grim, and they wanted uh, they wanted to introduce this other character to lighten him up and make it and and make it more family friendly. Like Lego Batman, like he's all dark and Robin's all super light. I love Lego Batman. That's cool. Is that so funny? Because then they went completely off the rails for all those years. With a goofy Batman and then had to darken him up. Yeah. Because it was... The Adam West Batman? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was super well, campy and colorful. Rainbow Batman. Oh, God. Yeah, you know, all the, in the, right in the 60s. Yeah, 70s, yeah, 60s. I must 60s. wear a different colored costume Batman. every night, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, let's see how I want to put this. Um, 42. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. Um, Life, the universe, and everything else. That's all you need to know. What was the inspiration? For Batman, or maybe I should say, who was the inspiration for Batman? When Bob Kane first came up with the idea for the, the character, it was based on, um, it was based on someone. Who was it based on? He actually had a number of influences, but there was like one real primary life? one. Uh, is it another fictional character? Uh, James Bond. Is it bigger than a bread combination? box? Sort of a combination of a real life person and a fictional character. William Jim Martin. Starlin, <laughs> James Bond. I don't know. I'm just going to throw it. Oh, James Bond came a lot later. Really? Oh, Oh, yeah. I don't know anything about anything. Yeah. Late 40s? Okay, we'll start with this one. Can anybody name the fictional character that was the inspiration for Batman? The Shadow? Not the Shadow. Dark guy. (laughs) Actually, not not a comic book character. Really? At least wasn't a comic book character at this time. Yeah, it was Kayla. She said Zorro. Is that right? It was Zorro. Oh, Kayla. Okay. Uh, the whole idea of a of a wealthy person who becomes a vigilante and fights for the downtrodden, essentially. Um, but it, he was based on a particular actor's portrayal of Zorro. Antonio Banderas. <laughs> Remember, this Do you was see 1939. How he got? Do you have a man crush on Antonio? He's pretty handsome, but no. Um, I know. I know this. I don't know Wait, this. What did you say? What was the question? Was this from the black and white show? It, was it that actor? No, this no, is not. I mean, this is before TV. Oh, oh snap! You're right. This was like because I remember an, watching this, this was Zorro a, a show. movie actor who portrayed Zorro in the movies in I the 1930s. This. Yeah, yeah, I was like 30s. I know this. Like this is gonna this is gonna kill me when you say it is. You're gonna to, know who it is. Charlie I used to Chaplin. watch the Zorro <laughs> show, like yeah. the black and white one. Yeah. Um, like on Nick at Night, like yeah. way long time ago. Do you know? I think so. What is it? Is it Douglas Fairbanks? Yes, Douglas oh. Fairbanks. How do you know this? You're like younger than me. <laughs> oh, she's about Zorro. Nice. Zorro's pretty dope, though. So. <laughs> he is. <laughs> and if you ever get a chance to watch uh, Zorro the Gay Blade, that's also yes, an that's excellent portrayal. That's what okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got a listener one. Yes, here's the listener one. Um, when Bob Kane first showed his costume ideas for Batman to Bill Finger, Bill Finger was really unimpressed, and he made a lot of suggestions, basically ended up essentially creating the Batman costume. What other comic strip character did Bill Finger base his ideas for Batman's costume on? Okay. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. And if, uh, Johnny, if they want to send in their answers, where can they do that? You, they can send it at, th- mm, nope, contact at All Star Comics Podcast. Not the Johnny 2x4. No, not the Johnny 2x4. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, the Johnny contact at <laughs> podcast. I All-Stars. almost said that. No, uh, you guys can send it to contact at All Star Comics Podcast.com. All right, uh, last cool. Week? Last week. Yeah, for last week, um, what, what did we review? Uh, Power Rangers. 
Superhero no, Girl. Adventures of Superhero Girl and comics. Okay. Yeah. So for last week, uh, the winner of the graphic novel is Ian Robbins. Nice. Congratulations, Ian. You got a uh, great book. Yeah, your girl's going to love it. Um <laughs> 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 that was, I was I was actually being serious and then I, uh, well I know that's what made it so funny because we know Ian's not going to read that <laughs> oh, Ian, he'll, yeah, he'll, he'll read, read it to him out, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you'll love it and the winner of the comics last week David Modell uh, congratulations and uh, I think well, I sent an email out to uh, Clay Privett his comics went out today I've got emails out to everybody else I owe stuff to, which actually wasn't as many as I thought. I think it was two other two other guys. So their books should go out tomorrow, and I'll be caught up, and thank God. But uh, <laughs> congratulations, you guys. I, that weekend off was amazing. You needed that. Yeah. I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year. Mm-hmm. Which we should start off the show by saying, welcome to the first show of the new year, everybody. Yeah. Stinger. Well, <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, Larry, tell us about the graphic novel where we were, we are reviewing tonight. The Johnny 2x4? Yeah. All right. <laughs> tonight we are reviewing Dark Knight, a true Batman story. And, original... and that's not spelled with a K. It it's is not spelled Dark with a K. Dark Knight, yes. as in nighttime. An original graphic novel by Paul Sorry. Dini uh, with the art by Eduardo Risso. Yes. And. Um, <clears throat> I guess the best way to put this would be that while he is at the height of his professional career drawing animated adventures for Batman and other characters, Paul Dini suffers a mugging which takes his already messy personal life and plunges it even further into darkness and also threatens to upend his burgeoning career at the same time. Yep, that's that's that it. Sums it up. So this is pretty much a Paul Dini story with kind of like appearances of Joker and the Batman as the the angel and the devil on each of his shoulders. Yeah. Yes. Now, as for why I picked this book, uh, I, I just really thought it was a uh, it, it was a great book in in a lot of respects. First of all, one of the things that I really appreciated is Paul Dini's honesty with. Um, with how messy his life actually was. Because um, although everything I read about this, the the solicitation for this really focused on the mugging that he suffers and the aftermath of that, that's about half the book. The Mm -hmm. first half is his life from childhood up until then. And um, and what you find out is that that he had kind of a messy life in a lot of respects, really not a, uh, a fantastic personal life, the kind of stuff he was interested in. He was interested in things like cartoons, and comic books early in life, um, not really encouraged by uh, people he knew or by his family. Um, he ended up, you know, being kind of a nerd, as you would expect someone like that, uh, you know, to be. So uh, doesn't have a great personal life. His relationships with uh, with women usually center around um, them using him for whatever they need and not really being interested in him as a person. He um, He's in therapy for a lot of his life. Uh, and uh, so a lot of his personal life is very is very messy, and uh, and I appreciate his honesty about how that was. Um, and the part of the reason I appreciate that is because I know that people can get really judgmental about that sort of thing. Um, 
on a whole different subject, just recently, for example, I was uh, listening to an interview with Elizabeth Smart. For those of you who may remember, she was a uh, woman who was kidnapped uh, when she was 14, uh, was held captive for nine months, was raped repeatedly and things like that. And um, and it was fascinating to me and, and very sad to hear all the comments that she's gotten from people about, well, if I had been in the situation, I would have done this or I would have done that. And my thought is, unless you've been in that situation, you have no idea what you would have done yeah. and yet people get very judgmental about other people's lives so i appreciate his honesty with that um also i appreciated his honesty with what happened um after the mugging um uh, the you know the struggles that he went through just to be able to get out of his apartment and go back to work and how difficult that was for him again because um unless you've been through that yourself you know i don't think people really understand um how hard that can be um also, he was very honest about some other uh, kind of sensitive topics. Um, the idea of race, for example. Um, when he gets mugged, he, he gets beaten up basically by these two black guys. And he talks about the fact that when he was walking down the street at night and he sees these guys approaching him, he he thinks that they, they look kind of sketchy and maybe he should you know do something, cross the street, change direction, do something. But he doesn't want to seem because of his life up until then he doesn't want to look like he's scared um and also he doesn't want to seem like you know he's a racist oh you know just because these guys are black i don't want to uh you know make it look like that's why i'm getting out of the way and then it turns out that his initial instinct was in fact the correct one these guys were as sketchy as they appeared to him and um and he ends up getting beaten up really badly as a result of this um and so i appreciate uh, his honesty with that and then Beyond that, um, I, I just really like the way he set this up, the way that these uh, characters from Batman end up coming in and expressing his thoughts, but it's like they're talking to him instead. Um, so when he wants to just give up and stay in his apartment, not leave, the Joker is there to encourage him to do that. Um, and Batman is the one who comes in is telling him, you know that that he needs to to work on getting better. He needs to get out. He needs to engage with life again. Um, and so, just the way he he sets that up, I, I think was uh, was really good. And and a lot of the book is surprisingly for a, a kind of a dark subject is really pretty funny. Uh, the way that he does is there's a lot of humor in there in addition to some of the more serious stuff that happens. Um, and then I also like the way that at the that he's presenting it as though his life is is being being presented as a uh, he's doing it like a storyboard to a group of people watching it who you find out at the end are all of these different characters that have been appearing throughout the book so um, it's almost like he's pitching his life um, to these characters and and trying to explain how he came to that position and and what has happened since then so I just think it was um, it was a, a really honest story uh, but also a really well written one that um, uh, that I really really liked a lot uh, it's not really that long but it's kind of a dense read uh, but uh, but it's well worth it yeah yeah, that's the one that I, I was glad to hear you talk of it in those terms, what you took away from it, because my first thought when I when I finished this story this morning was that it was one of the most brutally honest stories I'd ever read, you know, and that, that you know, that he has, uh, him being Paul Dini, um, the capacity to reflect on his life 
uh, with complete honesty and and objectivity, yes. which a lot of people don't. You know, a lot of times people sugarcoat their past. They'll, they're still placating themselves, saying, you know, uh, in, in, in some way or another. And with him, he's like, well, th- this is how it was. This is what I've learned about myself from it. Um, and at times it was almost uncomfortable. Um, but at other times, like you said, with the humor, he does inject humor in there along the way, which really kind of makes, you know, it, it eases things a little bit. Like, I mean, Batman talking to him about his mugging and he's like, well, you could have done a jujitsu roll and and thrown him (laughs) backwards. And, and Deanie's like. I'm you're, not a cartoon character, yeah, and I haven't been trained for that's 20 been years. Trained for since and, however long. And with the the Lazarus Pit and the in the Bat Cave, you know, and I, the, that that was that was something I appreciated too with the humor because it is a pretty dark story. It is. And initially, you know, when I was reading it, and you know, you start off because it started off a little in a different place than I thought. I knew what the book was about. Right. But I didn't realize that he would back up all the way to his childhood, which I think was necessary because he, he was he definitely gave you an idea of where he came from that put him in the place that he was and the place that he is now. Um, but I really felt like, you know, with this kid and the, and the way he wrote it and again with the honesty coming through, I was like, this is almost an unhealthy imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt the same for, way for this for this little kid um and you know but his parents still encouraged him you know to to do what he loved and and do all this stuff um but it seemed like you know that you really got the feeling that this kid is sitting in class and off to the side there are these little cartoons going on right (laughs) you know and in every aspect of his life there's like cartoon characters kind of providing you know this distraction uh, for you know, to to stuff that he doesn't want to be doing, um, or troubles that he's having in his life, and that carries through, you know, um, all the way through this book, and and it it eventually got to the point where I was like, you know, this is this is interesting. I don't, I'm not sure that it's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think today for kids, people people would definitely say um, that's a little unhealthy, but I think by the end. You, you kind of, well, at least I kind of got the feeling that that's just how he processed life. I mean, that, but it, because it was something that was a part of him from when he was a kid, you know? And so that's kind of how uh, he processes what is going on. How, you know, maybe how um, he uses these characters and stuff to, uh, to play off of, you know, and it, different, different thoughts in his mind. You know, I don't know. Um, but it was, I, I really think it's amazing, uh, what he did, uh, in writing this. I was also surprised that it was what, 20 years after the fact. Yeah. Yes. Well, I liked, um, one thing I did want to mention, I don't know if I, uh, if I made enough of a point of this, but for those who may not be aware, Paul Dini was, um, a writer for Batman, the animated series and for Tiny Toon Adventures, um, even won an Emmy for Tiny Toon Adventures, which is mentioned in there. Um, and he's also the person who created the character of Harley Quinn. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, and that too, that reminded me of one of the harshest scenes in, in the, in the story was when he's at home. After winning these Emmys, he's cutting himself, you know, and he's cutting himself with them. <clears throat> yeah, and I'm like, he's not, he's not making this up. 
And right. that's it's that scene is very powerful because you it's like you know, it's um it's not something that you'd really freely want to admit. Um I mean I've uh when this book came out, I think it was uh, last year or two years ago, um well it would have been two years ago actually. Um, you know, I heard interviews with him and he sometimes got choked up, like even talking about it. And it's like, it's been 20 years and I still, you know, I touch my face and I still feel it broken. And well, he says so much, even in the graphic novel. Yeah. Yeah. When I, he, this story is when the mugging happened, it just didn't, they just didn't break his face. They kind of broke his whole spirit because he wasn't art. He was already in a bad place, uh, at the beginning and like, they just kind of crushed uh, his faith in everything. Those muggers did. He didn't want to do anything, and he uh, he clearly showed signs of depression, of not wanting to do anything, not wanting to uh, move or uh, any anywhere. Um, when I got to uh, when I got this book and um, I started uh, reading it uh, when it came out or whenever it did. Um, you know when he was falling into this depression, and when he when we got to the the Emmy scene, uh, I was kind of getting a little uh, anxiety because I was like, I, these are <laughs> these are the same feelings that I sometimes have. You know, I, I um, sometimes I feel like I mention it a lot, but I uh, you know I suffered with depression, and I go to um, the Burbank suicide. Uh, prevention of suicidal ideatives or something like that it's a center that really helps you um and reading this book i was like i don't want to read this this is making me feel anxious this is making me feel all the the things that i'm not supposed to feel because i know what he's going through and it's very powerful and i'm extremely glad i finished it because by the end of it he kind of sees like sure a lot of things may seem wrong and and pointless but you know he has to um there there has to be a point and and he he's going to go out there and and try and by the end of the book he's not a hundred percent but you know he he's he's trying and it, it looks like he's um he's battling uh the depression which he has had um since the beginning yes it, it's just now that this happened it intensified uh to a crippling state um to you know he doesn't even want to write for batman he loves he loves batman but after the mugging he's like there's no point in this this is just a, a dumb made-up character that doesn't exist and won't do anything for anybody you know it's not until the end where he sees the point like th these stories are meant to inspire and you know kind of um uh you know create fun and and get you away from uh, the depression and stuff and I, I love this whole story arc of him dealing with all of that because he he's also mentioned that th this mugging helped him see life in, in a different way. Yes. That it, it made him see, like, sure, it brought him all the way down, like, really, really badly. But he, he rose above it and um, he came out. Uh, a little bit better on the other side once once it was all done. I'm pretty sure he's he still remembers that day like vividly, and he still has some sort of depression because it never really goes away. Um, but you know he's he's living it one day at a time like everybody else. Yeah, but you have to you have to be a strong individual to write this story. Definitely, you know. And I think that um, because I saw you see well all the way through most of this book, you see a weak person. You know, yes. Someone 
uh, who physically, emotionally, yeah, mentally, yep. just yeah. But but by the end, I mean, you see, I mean, there's a, a true strength of character in this dude uh, that really comes through, and and I think it, it, it ultimately in the end, it's an inspirational story. Well, the weakness I think you see even after the mugging when Batman comes to him and after he discusses the fact that hey, I, I couldn't do that kind of a move like like you do Batman says well there's, there's still a lot of things you could have done you you came across like a victim you're walking with your head down you're you saw some a situation that you knew was uh, was dangerous and yet you you could have done so many things you could have changed so direction you could have crossed the street you could have knocked on somebody's door there's so yep. many things you could have done but instead you just acted like a victim even even the path that put him there with those people because he left he had been out to dinner with the this girl Vivian yes Vivian, who who just wanted him to try and get to meet Steven Spielberg yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and but he he wanted her to think that he was going to see somebody else or something because he was not going the way he should have been going to his car right and so he he was basically trying to make her think that he wasn't a loser and and so he went this you know roundabout way to get back to his car which put him in this dark neighborhood um so even you know the choice to do that was was born out of uh, of his path was born out of weakness too like you guys have kind of covered it it's at times yeah it's it's definitely a, a hard book to get through um, I mean, all that being said, there's a couple of great moments in the book too. Um, one being when he finally kind of comes out of it and he pitches the the Sandman Batman team up. Yeah, that was cool. I was I was like, man, I kind of wish they did that episode of Batman the animated series. <laughs> now that I would have been one that I would have been like as a kid, like, what's happening? Yeah. So um, there and wow, there was another moment that I really liked in it that I can't remember now. Ah, oh, crap. Let me see the book. Let's see if I can't. Um, yeah, I I I can't say enough about this story. I really think you know anybody um, who has suffered from depression or is suffering from depression or has oh. been through trauma or PTSD of any kind uh, would be able to to relate to this story. Um, or if you know somebody that's going through that, um, I would highly recommend it. And yeah. even if you haven't, you know. Yes. Um, I mean, it tells it tells a lot about uh, you know the indomitability of the human spirit. Yeah. Um, one of one of the uh, like biggest things to someone suffering with depression is like you have the feeling of always feeling alone, like you're always alone in this. And seeing it from Paul Dini's perspective of like, oh, this this guy who invented Harley Quinn and wrote some of the best Batman stories ever, like he's going through the same thing that you know other people are going through maybe you know i'm not alone this is a great book to you know showcase uh what he went through and and what he's doing now or what he did then to um you know go ahead and 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 move on or maybe not move on completely but just uh learn to live with it not to well and not to let it determine his life right you know exactly that he uh he he basically takes ownership of his life and his and his choices going forward, you know, and he's not he's choosing not to be a victim, um, but uh, you know to find strength in in the experience of what he went through. 
there's a couple of great lines like when uh, I can't find it specifically, but it's when um, uh, something happens to him or whatever. And it, I think it had to do with Vivian, but then he sees poison ivy. She's like, oh, that's brutal. At least I, you know, I kiss men before they die or something <laughs> like that. I was just like, it's kind of dark, but it's kind of yeah. funny. So, you know, things like that. He does really well throughout the whole book with um, the various characters that are kind of acting out his thoughts, you know. So, um, well, I loved, yeah, I love his, his writing in particular of the women in there and especially Harley at the end. I, yeah. I thought that was a really nice touch Yep, when yes. they're, they're going, he's going and she's like, and you know, write me this way. I really like it when you, when you write me that way, you know, and I was like, that's really cute. Yeah. Any, anything else you guys want to cover? Uh, Eduardo Risso kills it on the art. Uh, you know, he's. Oof, so expressive and he's one of my favorite artists even though he has a weird style that many people may not like i love it yeah it look i mean it absolutely fits the tone of this mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. and it and it pulls you in and i think his, his layouts are f- fantastic um and it really i don't know it's 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 super emotive which i think is really necessary for a book like this yeah all right, well, let's rate it. It's five stars easy for me. Yeah, definitely a five star for me. I would recommend it to anyone, five stars. I, I will give it a five star rating with a caveat off of that. Like, well, it's not for everybody. Okay. It's a mature, it's it's published under the Vertigo title, even though they're... Anyone over a certain age. Yeah. <laughs> um, 15, 16. Eh, maybe a little higher. Yeah, just, uh, well, I don't know. It, it would be up to, 16, you know, 17. the discretion. 17. 17. Because it's in terms of like if you were rating this like a movie, this is definitely an R-rated so book. 17. You know, well, I think that uh, I think it would depend on the person too. I think that mm-hmm. a a teenage reader, someone who has suffered from someone who has suffered or is suffering from depression, whether yeah. they've gone through this exact experience or not, I think would really get a lot out of this. I think a I think a, a teenage reader who hasn't gone through something like that, I don't think would maybe get as much out of it. Um, and uh, it's something that maybe if you if you haven't gone through depression like that, then you need to have a little bit more life experience, I think, yeah. and, and at least have been around people that you've seen. You've, you've probably had loved ones who've been through things like this. And, and so as a result, I think that uh, you have a little more experience behind you to relate to it. I think so, too, because I, you know, I thought you guys were a little high on the age. I would think, you know, it, but I agree with you, Larry. If, if, you know, if, if, I, if, I, if I knew a 12, 13, 14-year-old, who was disconnected from the world, who, you know, uh, you know, showed depressive tendencies, mm-hmm. uh, isolationism, um, anything like that, uh, self-mutilation, whatever. I, look, I mean, they're, they're, you know, younger kids, tweens that, you know, go through some, some serious stuff and they often don't have the outlets to share it with anybody and I, I don't think this book would be in any way wrong for them to read because it's it like i said in the end it's an inspirational story yeah and i think that you know still at that age they would be able to take uh some very meaningful lessons from from this guy's life i agree i agree um all right so we're going to move on to our preview segment i'm gonna try to rip through this pretty quickly 
from Marvel Comics, we have Avengers 675. We have Cable 153, Daredevil 597, Despicable Deadpool uh, 292, Miss Marvel 26, Old Man Hawkeye number one of 12. Are we reviewing that? <laughs> probably I, that makes me so nervous but probably <laughs> it's gonna be pretty yeah Chichetto right is it, it Chichetto he's on the cover I think so I think yeah. Marco Chichetto yeah. is, is the artist so good yeah uh, Old Man Logan number 33 Phoenix Resurrection Return of Jean Grey number 3 Punisher 220 excuse me <clears throat> She-Hulk number 161 Spider-Man Deadpool number 26 Star Wars Darth Vader number 10 Venom number 160 X-Men Blue number 19 and X-Men Gold Annual number 1 <coughs> excuse me and that's going to do it from Marvel Comics uh, DC Comics we have Action Comics number 995 Batgirl and the Birds of Prey number 18 Detective Comics number 972 Flash number 38 Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps number 36 Harley Quinn number 34 Harley Quinn be careful what you wish for number 1 special it's a Harley special. <laughs> uh, Justice League of America number twenty-two, Mister Miracle number six. Please tell me we're doing that. Please tell me we're doing yes, Mister Miracle. We were. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I, I look. There's no other book that I would put above that as wanting to review. So, yeah. yeah. And it's their the book before they take like a one month or two month break it's, or whatever. It's, okay. It's middle, okay. So right? this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the middle arc because they are putting out something that's going to be like a brief history of Mr. Miracle and the New Gods in between the, the off months. Okay. That is kind of like a director's cut, but it's going to have a lot of bonus stuff. Written about, by King? I think it's written by King and it's art by somebody else. Okay. It's in order to give um, Garrett some, some, some time <laughs> off to, to, catch to, to catch up and to like, you know, spend time with his newborn son or yeah. – his son that he had la- early or later last year. Three months ago. Yeah, something like that. I think so, it was last month, but okay. No, it wasn't last month. You sure? Yeah, it was, he, he's, he's... November, October or somewhere? Yeah, it was fall. I don't think it was winter. No, you're probably right. Um, Where did I leave off? Oh, uh, New Superman number 19, Ragman number 4 of 6, Red Hood and the Outlaws number 18, Scooby Apocalypse number 21, Suicide Squad number 33. Supergirl, number 17, Superwoman, number 18, Titans, number 19, and Wonder Woman, number 38. And that is it from DC. From Indie Comics, we've got Royal City, number 9. We've got SpongeBob Comics, number 76, TMNT Ongoing, number 78, and Witchblade, number 2. What's it going to be, Roger? Turtles. We can't do Witchblade? No, we already did one. That was a great first issue, though. Yeah, we could. Do, I would be okay with Witchblade, number 2. We always do turtles. They don't. You, dude, we do a lot of turtles. We did, we did have a string of a lot of turtles because of Chris. Yeah, that was only two issues and a third one that we did normally. Come on, Johnny. Say what it is you really want to review. SpongeBob. Well, I, wanna, I honestly want to do Witchblade, but okay. <laughs> I just say SpongeBob because I know we're not going to I'm not going to commit to anything on India. To be right determined now. on that. Graphic novels. We have Batman uh, Beyond, Trade Paperback, Rise of the Demon. Uh, Curse Words, Street Paperback Volume 2, Explosion Town? <laughs> yes. Sorry. I thought it was going to say, like, exposition, and I realized, like, that's not what this word says. Yeah. Uh, Descender, Trade Paperback Volume 5, Rise of the Robots. Harley Quinn, Trade Paperback Volume 4, Surprise, Surprise. Wicked and Divide, Trade Paperback Volume 6, Imper- Imperial Phase Part 2. 
As always, this is not the complete list. If you want that, go to horizoncomics.com, click on the new releases tab. It's updated every Monday. What are we review what are we reviewing uh, graphic novel wise next week and with whom? I have no clue. Oh, okay. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, news. Oh, you want to talk about bleeding cool? Let me pull that up. Let's let's find out what Roger's got here, and then we'll we'll move over to news. Well, it's Nick Cantrell, and I'm not sure we decided on a book. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, so okay. it'll be it'll be fun. Cool. I ran into this problem with you last week, Larry. I was I was I'm actually glad you recommended this one because I had it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, don't you have a stack of books that we could do though that we've been meaning yeah. to get? I've to got a lot of books. Yeah. Yeah, let's just do one of those. Or what? or Nick, just hurry up. What Nick? What we're doing this book? What? Yeah, <laughs> Nick will show up and be like, didn't you read this? <laughs> didn't you get the memo? All I right. Yeah, I mean, well, the one that the one that I've kind of been pushing off for a while is American Vampire. Ooh. Oh, do it. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> but I need, to, I need to double check with Nick and make sure that he didn't tell Pick me there was a book yeah. that he wanted to do. Because most of the times I'm just lame <laughs> or, or forgetful. So Okay. All right, so news. Oh, yeah. So, Bleeding Cool posted this article, uh, I think it was today. Mm-hmm. No, it was two days ago, sorry. Was it? Yeah, it was January 1st. Uh, basically, they posted... Wow, uh, starting the new year off right, Bleeding yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, about this comic shop called Challenger Comics in Chicago, where they uh, tweeted about some of their statistics from the past year. And I'll read uh, these tweets. Basically, they're saying they're down in sales. So... Um, First one goes, we're down 6.8% from 2016, and this is our lowest yearly total since 2013. October and December took the biggest hits. Overall, it's as if our 2017 only had 11 months of sale. We were down $21,000 in single-issue Marvel sales alone, and DC was up $2,000. Pins, T-shirts, posters, toys were also all up. So just some interesting t- statistics from a different shop from the other side of the country saying that they're hurting from Marvel, too. Yeah. And th- I mean, this is a pretty big store in in Chicago. Yeah, I think it's the biggest store in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and I don't yeah, we 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 probably have I, I now I don't being down twenty thousand dollars in sales just from in Marvel Ooh. is I mean, in, in a year, that's something. But but it's really meaningless unless you know what their overall Marvel sales were the year before. Well, they said six point eight percent from the year before. Well, no, their their total sales are down six point eight percent, which is meaningless too because you would have to know the combined sales from comics, graphic novels, toys, card gaming, whatever they had. I mean, if, if their sales are down six point eight percent and and their Marvel sales are down twenty one thousand. Twenty thousand bucks. I mean, that is a lot, but I mean, they would have to have at least uh, uh, what is a hundred thousand? No, to be down six point eight percent and to be down twenty one thousand with Marvel. If that was say roughly seven percent of their sales, that means that they would be doing sales of three hundred close to three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Um but then they also said that but it's probably not that much because they said that DC was up a couple of thousand, which yeah. means that overall they're not down twenty one thousand. 
Um, so that puts them down 19,000. Then they said, but they also said that toys and other merchandise was also up. So yeah. that, so they, they've got to be down by no more than 18,000 based on that, which would mean that their sales are closer to a quarter million, you know, roughly. I'm so glad yeah. you guys are better at it would have than me. Uh, <laughs> well, that yeah. also rolls into the thing that you were telling me earlier about their shops closing up and whatnot, you know, right? Yeah. Well, this is this is what I said to Matt because I was like, you know, Matt was asking whether or not you know we should put that in the news. I'm like, well, it'll give me you know a chance to talk about the other because for me it was just when when Matt sent the link to me, it was just another eye roll for me because I see this stuff not on a daily basis but on a weekly basis. And uh, you know, this week, this morning, you know, I was reading about a shop in Modesto uh, that's been around for 18 years that's closing up. And last week it was a shop in Sacramento. I, I don't know this shop. I, I didn't know either shop, but the shop in Sacramento they said had been around for forty-four years. Wow! But that puts them, you know, that that goes way before the direct market. You but know, also, at least twelve years before the direct market. Um, that's roughly the same area too. Yeah. Um. So, but they they'd been around for a long time, and they're deciding to close up. And I think, um, well, it was in uh, the link that you sent me, the story from Bleeding Cool, that talked about digital comics and Marvel, yeah, as being as being the two the, biggest factors, the main culprits. And I, I mean, I agree with it. I see that. I see that here. I obviously, don't know. I don't know what percentage of our customers are uh, have, have migrated to strictly digital. Um, I, I don't know. Everybody look at uh, Johnny. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> he he's actually stepped up his, his paper. Game I know it's recently, impressive. Yeah. So that's cool. I like holding um, them. I, I switched. And I I don't. You know, look, I, it's hard for me to begrudge anybody digital comics because I know that comics are like rabbits and and they create problems. <laughs> Usually, God. you know. Uh, yeah. With, with storage and stuff. I, I mean, I understand that. Freaking A, with uh, storage. Yeah, I know. Um, I, it's really hard. I mean, I think that there are a lot of advantages to digital comics. I I absolutely prefer a paper comic. Mm -hmm. Like, I prefer an old-fashioned book. Um, I love the experience of just, you know, being able to hold it and read it. And I love that smell. I love being able to look at, you know, two pages at once. Uh, I love being able to flip to the end and see, <laughs> and, and and then go back and see how I got to that point. Um, so I look, I don't, I don't begrudge anybody digital comics, and I understand that it's um, it's a sign of the times. You know, this is um, the Netflix era. Yeah. 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 But their comics aren't going away though. Like no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think they're going away. But something. Something is going to change. I. Th I th actually think that the direct market is is in perilous territory right now, because we have our shop here. Look, we're a small shop, um, but you know one of, one of the things that that really helps us is we have we have very low overhead. Um, we're not in a great location. You know, um, but we have have always had a very loyal customer base. We have a lot more customers than you'd think that we we should have for being in this location. 
Um, but, but even with the low overhead, um, it's really, it's really taxing our shop. I mean, there, you know, there are days that I really question why I'm doing this, you know? Um, and I think that that's what, what a lot of shops across the country face of, of all, all sizes, yeah. uh, small, medium and large, because, and, and, you know, between Marvel and the digital revolution in comics, I think that it's, it's such a hit that, um, a lot of shops are just closing up, you know, that they're not, they're not continuing on. And a lot of those shops have alternative sources of income too, like card gaming. Yeah. or or gaming um they're not straight up comic shops so um but i don't know we'll we'll see i mean we're going to hang in there as long as we can um but there are i think that there are uh a lot of a lot of comic shops that are on the edge right now that are likely to go out of business in the near future um and so if if Every, every you know if to everybody out there if you want if you want your local comic shop to come around uh do them a favor and you know go buy a book pick something up pick um, up your pull list <laughs> yeah and that's that's a very small percentage mm-hmm. um that's not true <laughs> that's so not true pick up your polls people yes. yeah <laughs> If you're coming in once a month, try to come in every two weeks. <laughs> you know, that helps. Yeah. That that would help. Anyway, yeah. but uh, it's it's the industry is 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 on I think shaky ground right now. Yeah. Well, that kind of ties into the question I have from Blake, nice. which I heard you guys earlier. I'll read it again for the sake Go of ahead. our listeners. Yeah, completely um, forgot it. This one question is actually for Roger and Mr. Larry concerning the state of Marvel. You gentlemen have experience under your belt when it comes to reading Marvel through the ages. In your respectable opinions, what would it take for Marvel to get back to the golden standard of the House of Ideas? Do you think it would take cleaning house as far as getting new writers versus hitting the reset button on the Marvel Universe? Or could the Marvel Universe be patched up in the state it is currently in. Go ahead, Larry. Well, um, I don't know if this is a direct answer to the question, um, but looking at it from a, a historical standpoint, I guess you could say, what was it that made Marvel great in the first place? And that was that back in 1961, when Marvel began putting out comics, they did something that nobody else was doing. They were doing something that was different. Um, I just recently uh, watched, I haven't finished watching them, but I've watched most of the um, uh, Robert Kirkman's Secret History of Comics Oh, episodes. I've been meaning to watch that series. I haven't DVR'd. And in the one about Marvel, one of the things that he, he points out, he's doing an interview with Stan Lee, and Stan Lee says that... Um, that he had basically become disillusioned. He was working for Timely and then Atlas Comics, um, which were both precursors to Marvel. Atlas was literally on its last legs, um, and uh, and he had become disillusioned with the whole thing and wanted to get out of the comic business. Um, but his wife said to him, well, look, if you're going to get out anyway, 
then why don't you write a comic the way that you would like to? Instead of trying to, because what they'd been trying to do, what Atlas had been trying to do, is just follow whatever trend was going on and see if they could capitalize on that. And they were turning out stuff that was crap. It was just, well, this is popular, so, you know, like when Western comics were popular, let's try writing a bunch of Western comics and seeing if they'll sell. And, and that's all they were trying to do. And so... What he did was Stanley actually gave some thought to what would I want a comic book to be like? And out of that came Fantastic Four number one. And the whole idea that he wanted to make comics in a way more realistic um, in the sense that he was wanting to create characters that had were not perfect, that had flaws. Characters um, who maybe were not that happy about the fact that they were superheroes, but characters that had conflict amongst themselves. But basically it was just something that was his vision of what he thought a comic book could be. Um, and he came up with something that was unique, and that was what Marvel did. And if you look through what, at what Marvel did through the 60s and into the 70s, um, so throughout the Silver Age and the Bronze Age, how was it that they overtook, I mean, DC was the giant at the time. And, um, and how did Marvel end up overtaking them? It was by doing things better. They were just writing better stories. And they were doing things in a way that nobody else was doing them. And that's what they've lost. They've, in a way, gone back to the old Atlas comics of the 1950s, just trying to say, what crap can we put on the stands that we can con people into buying? And rather than, let's look at how would we want to do things. If we were going to write the comic that we ourselves would want to read, what would we do? And I think that's what they've lost. They're just trying to churn stuff out to make as much money as they can and seeing if they can get people to buy it, whether it's good or crap, they don't really care. Um, and and that's what they need to get back to caring about, about those stories, just simply writing good stories. And that might mean maybe not putting out as many titles. But, um, you know, back back in the day, back in the golden age and silver age, um, companies weren't putting out as many titles, but the titles they were putting out were selling so much more. I mean, you look at things like action comics back in the 40s was selling a million copies a month. Freaking um, a. You know, um, Captain Marvel Adventures was selling 1.4 million a month. Um, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, certainly those were the big, you know, the big names, but it wasn't you know, out of reach to be selling a million comics a month, you know, or close to that. Even titles that were somewhat less popular um, were still selling in many cases, you know, hundreds of thousands of issues a month, half a million issues a month, 400,000 issues a month. And um, I mean, today, obviously nobody does that, but, but they had, so they were selling more comics to a smaller population with fewer titles, but they were still selling actually more issues. But the issues that they were selling, people wanted to read. And that's just it. There's so much out there that people just don't want to read. So I, I think that, you know, with Marvel, I wouldn't suggest doing another reboot. People are, are going to look at that and say, you got to be kidding me. Again, this is what, the seventh time in eight years or whatever it might be that we're rebooting the universe. I, I think they could fix what they've got. They just got to write good stories yep. and focus on that and focus on what could we do that people would want to read. Not what would we do that would make it so that people think this is going to be collectible and they're going to want to buy it. What would people actually want to read? Yep. I, I echo everything you said. I mean, that, that covers everything on my list. 
I would start uh, with with a lot fewer titles. Stop playing the variant game. Stop trying to you know to milk all your profits from from a you know continuously shrinking pool of avid collectors uh, and and write better stories um, because that's what yeah, I think uh, you know I said this earlier um, before we started taping um, what you need to do is you need to endear these characters and these stories to uh, the fans that you have and to new fans you know um, to get people talking about the stories sharing them with their their friends their families um, and if you're gonna if you're gonna survive you need to create um, new audience groups you know they need it, you can't just have you know one generation of sorry old white men buying your books you know you need to you need to attract um generational audiences you know you need to continuously be attracting people in um and i think one other thing that i said that's that's worth adding here um and this this came from chris johnson uh and it's it's just kind of how the publishers view uh their industry you know and he he had said to me that uh, comic publishers need to stop looking at, uh, or publishers need to stop looking at um, comics as profit centers, and they need to be, they need, you know, to treat it like R and D, you know, to to cultivate um, stories that you know can be used in in other mediums. And I agree with a lot of that sentiment, um, but I, because I think that you know, primarily, if you take away the pressure of of profits then you can you can easily put out fewer better stories so nice better stories that's it and what was the uh question we had from bryce ah bryce (laughs) i love bryce (laughs) i swear i want to go on a on a you know a, a u.s tour podcast tour so down so that we can have you know our guests from all out over of the state. country, yeah, we could we could do a podcast episode while fishing. <laughs> that, would, that would be fun. I think I could make that happen. All right, Matt, <laughs> figure out the logistics. <clears throat> Get one of those car battery chargers with a long extension cable. It'll work. I yeah, I'm down. <laughs> okay, so this is Bryce's, uh, tri- and this is kind of fun, and <laughs> I appreciate it. The uh, the uh, All Star Comics podcast has used eight different superheroes in the. ASCP symbol. How how many can y'all name? (laughs) Okay. Harley, obviously. Superman, Spider-Man, Wolverine. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Really? I don't remember these. (laughs) Um, Batman. What? It's on the spinning logo for the videos. Oh, you're right. Yeah. On the Edgar made. Uh, Iron Man? Do we have an Iron Man? There's an Iron Man. And Hulk. No. no Ooh. Captain America. Is it Captain America? That's a good the only one. one that you said that I couldn't, and I actually had this, I had pulled up on my YouTube, I was going to go back and, and look at it, was Wolverine. I couldn't remember no, whether it made... Wolverine was in there for it's sure. It's on the spinner. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. on the spinner. Yeah, then that got them all. Sweet. Um, yeah, Batman, <laughs> Tested my, Harley, my memory Woman. there. Cap, Spider-Man, Iron Man, and Wolverine then. That was a good one. So, and if you wanted, because I think that some of these are... 
are actually uh, public. We only use the Harley one for the main show, though. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, because she's and holding just... the baseball bat. <laughs> yeah. It goes along with but, the All Star. Oh, like, but one. then, when for have the you ever seen this, Larry? We used Superman and Spider Man, but then Harley right. the main one for so, previews yeah. and reviews. But we didn't. Yeah, I have seen that, but it's been a while. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah it was really cool. That was a that was a great animation put together by Edgar Neary too. It's well, I, I love it. Um, As we're listening to my voice on the YouTube video. Right. <laughs> God, how annoying! I'm just kidding. Wow, John, I love you. <laughs> that yeah. old. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the other thing, I, the other thing I wanted to to add from Bryce though, because I, I, Larry, I, I was going to mention this to you, and I think I got distracted. Um, what is that? <laughs> there's there's something going on. Um, I hear sound effects. Oh, this was. Uh, it was Bryce went on to talk about the uh, uh, Multiversity University episodes oh i did mention this um bryce wanted to add his two cents uh towards a a patreon testimonial um bryce says as a patreon backer i get the mass upload of multiversity university as they're released and i would compare the mass upload of mu to a comic series trade and the brief mu segments at the end of the ascp to a monthly comic paper issue um, how we are able to take in and digest more information out of reading a batch of comics in trade form as opposed to getting only small pieces of information in a single monthly comic. I hope that rambling made any sense. Jack Daniels Black said it did. God bless you, Bryce. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah, So and I, and I agree with that. We actually, uh, with Larry being and I, we recorded another six, six? seven, yeah, so we six episodes. Six, six episodes um, I should have those up on uh, Patreon by the weekend for all our supporters. They're on the Dropbox. Yeah. Sweet. Any other questions? That's no? it. That was it from Bryce. Cool. Thank you, Bryce. Uh, guys, if you like what you hear, please rate, review, subscribe, like, and share. Uh, helps us out. Uh, if yeah, you, tell a friend about the show. Yes, tell a friend about the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it, even if they don't like comics. Yeah. Just tell, tell, them, tell them to come by and see Roger. It's a cool show. Um, if you guys want to go above and beyond, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast. Is that still going? Something's still running <laughs> in the background. I think it's... Uh, YouTube? It's probably YouTube playing in the background. Um, you can get on the Patreon for as little as a dollar, three dollars, get you the exclusive content being the Multiversity University episodes, and I believe we are going to do a special episode on Sunday. On Sunday, Johnny's planning out a year in review for Sunday, us. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. All right. Uh, if you want to keep up with everything Horizon Comics, like Horizon Comics on Facebook, follow at Horizon Comics on the Instagrams and the Twitters. Uh, if you want to keep up with everything Johnny, you can follow me at the Johnny Two by Four. Everything audio and production and video games. The Hydra 5-5 on everything. Larry's at Costco on Saturdays. <laughs> no, I'm actually at, Cos- at Costco on Mondays. Mondays. So you can right, follow me around me. Uh, Costco on Monday excuse night. Excuse me. Um, until I call the police on you for stalking. <laughs> <laughs> all right. we, we should all do that. We should all like get Starbucks and <laughs> head over to Costco and kind of wait for Larry to show up. <laughs> hey, man, what you doing? Um, I'm at St. Jonathan on the Instagrams and the Twitters. Uh, stay tuned for the newest episode of Multiversity University for all of you guys that don't subscribe to the Patreon channel. It'll be tagged on right after this. Thank you guys for listening. Have a happy new year. We will see you next week. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Multiversity University. I'm your host, Larry Douglas. 
Now, when we finished our last episode, we were in 1936, getting very close to the Golden Age. But uh, even though there's only a couple of years left in the Platinum Age, there's a lot that still happens during this time. One of the things that happens is a new company comes along called Tip Top Comics. Now, um, the interesting thing about Tip Top Comics, it was founded by a man named Lev Gleason, another important figure in the early history of comics. Um, but just as uh, major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson brought in some writers who would become very famous, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, um, Lev Gleason did as well. He brought in Harvey Kurtzman and some of the other writers who would go on to become very well known with those um, infamous EC comics of the early 1950s, those comics that would end up going on to inspire the creation of the Comics Code Authority. Um, but uh, in addition to that, one of the things that Tip Top Comics did, which nobody else had thought to do before then, was they began to collect their individual issues into um, compilations of trade paperbacks. Now, they didn't actually start selling those trade paperbacks during the Platinum Age. They actually started selling them in 1939. Um, but they were the first company to actually do that. And the title Tip Top Comics actually lasted all the way until 1961. Uh, so it ended up being pretty popular. Now, um, one of the things that happened during this time was that uh, Major Nicholson was struggling a lot with his fledgling company. Um, in 1935, he had published New Fun, the big comics magazine, under the company name National Allied Publications, and uh, was having a lot of trouble because the dealers were reluctant to carry comics with original material. They still remembered that back in 1929, the Funnies had not done so well. So um, so Nicholson was always under the gun financially. Um, as I said, he did publish New Fun as a regular title, which ended up becoming more fun. Um, and he also added a second title, um, Adventure Comics, uh, which would actually go on all the way until 1985, uh, so becoming a very long-running comic, but he was always struggling with money. So in 1937, he ended up taking on Harry Donenfeld as his partner. Now, he didn't take him on willingly. Harry Donenfeld was a printer that, uh, that Nicholson owed money to. And so Donenfeld said, look, if you want to put out another comic book, you're going to have to take me on as a partner and let me kind of handle things and see if we can turn this around and actually make some money. So um, they so Donenfeld comes in. Um, he also brings in his uh, his accountant Jack Leibowitz as another partner, and they put out a comic which will become very well known because it's still running today, and that is Detective Comics Number One. And they even changed the name of the company. It was no longer called National Allied Publications. It was now called Detective Comics Publications actually Detective Comics Company. And of course, that will end up going on to become National Periodical Publications, and now today, of course, is known as DC Comics. So this is why New Fun, the big comics magazine, although not published under the name DC Comics, really is the first DC comic book. Now, um, 
when Detective Number One came out, uh, what Donenfeld did is he told Nicholson, you know what, um, why don't you go to Cuba, take a cruise to Cuba, get some new ideas, because Nicholson not only had writers, but he also wrote some of the stories himself. And so Donenfeld said, take this cruise to Cuba, get some new ideas, come back refreshed and, uh, you know, ready to hit the ground running, and we're going to make a success out of this thing. So Nicholson went on this cruise and came back only to find that all the locks to his office had been changed and basically he had been ousted. Donenfeld and Leibowitz were now the owners of the company and they would actually stay with the company for a long time. Actually, um, Harry Donenfeld would end up becoming the president of National Periodical Publications and uh, remain president of D.C. until 1965. Um Jack Leibowitz uh, would actually uh, remain until 1970 as an executive in DC Comics, and even after that would actually become a member of the Warner Brothers Board of Directors. So both of them remained connected with uh, DC Comics for a very long time. By the way, as kind of a side note, um, the actual name of DC Comics for most of its history at that time was National Periodical Publications, although it was popularly known as DC after the titles of Detective, after the initials of Detective Comics Number One, and um, it didn't actually become officially known as DC until 1977. So now that takes us up to 1937. We've now got the comic industry well-established. We have several companies that are now publishing comics. In addition to DC, we've got Eastern Color putting out a lot of comics. We have Tip Top Comics. We have Centaur Publications. And uh, Dell jumped back into the comic book business at this time as well. And so at this point, the comic book industry is thriving and it's act, other than some titles which did continue to be reprints, such as Famous Funnies Number One. You now had a lot of comics that were putting out original material, and that was now being accepted not only by the readers but by the newsstands that the comic companies depended on to sell them. And so at this point, the comic book industry is well established and is ready for its next big jump, and that is into the genre of the superhero. And that's where we will begin the Golden Age. I hope you join us next time as we begin our discussion of the Golden Age.